Most of my later teen years and into my early 20s, I spent a lot of time sitting by swimming pools. I was a lifeguard. Spent time in high school watching the public pool. I'd stand or walk along the side or sit in the lifeguard stand. Usually there were two of us for the kind of the small public pool where we were. And most of the time we were blowing the whistle because kids were running. You don't run at the swimming pool. If you get three warnings, you have to sit out for five minutes. That was the rule. I remember there were about three different times I think that I can distinctly remember having to dive in to save someone. A kid was trying to make it in the deep end from one side to the other, and I knew once he took off it wasn't going to work. I knew these kids, so I was ready for it. Another time there was a woman who had had um, uh, broken her back and she had found that water was something that she wanted to connect to, but she couldn't bend and she went down under the water and we jumped in to save her. Then I remember another one, there was a little kid, just a, you know, a tiny, maybe a three-year-old, four-year-old, sitting on the side of the pool in, the, in kind of the shallow wind and I would scan and I'd see where he was and I'd come back and scan the deep end scan and I looked and he wasn't there anymore and I'm scanning again and I went back and I was like "Uh oh where'd he go he's underwater so I jump in and I swim over there and he's just sitting on the bottom of the pool like there's nothing wrong he just this is fun this is the new thing I'm doing right now so I pick him up and put him on the side but lifeguarding can be stressful especially if there's not enough of you we used to have to close the pool if one of the lifeguards didn't show up because we weren't able to watch everybody. So it was a couple weeks ago, we were in our staff meeting, and we have staff meetings every Tuesday, and our staff rotates with a devotional. When Heather Holtgren brought in this book called Simply Tuesday, uh, a woman named Emily Freeman had written this book, and a part of uh, the book was this whole idea that she experienced, this woman, Emily Freeman, experienced um, the, uh, a water park where they had tons of lifeguards. They had almost an overkill of lifeguards. But as this, this Emily Freeman kept watching, what she saw was that each lifeguard was responsible for only about 10 to 12 feet of water. They had a couple of lifeguards overseeing everything, but there were lots of other lifeguards. And the whole idea is is if you get enough lifeguards in that water park watching just a small part of the lazy river or whatever it is, the odds are you're not going to have any drownings because you can take care of your 8 to 10 feet of water. And the analogy that uh, Emily Freeman had for uh, this kind of this over. Uh, use of lifeguards was this whole whole idea of just taking in what we can. Not trying to do the whole thing, but maybe taking our life in 8 to 12 feet chunks instead of trying to do all of it. This is what she writes in her book. In a culture of go big or go home, God's voice is often ignored or overlooked. God spends a lot of time in the small spaces and places of our lives. And in these places, she writes, I am small enough to breathe in deeply, small enough to see what's happening, and small enough to let go 
to be loved. To remember, and I love this word, the withness. Not the witness, but the with, W-I-T-H-ness of Christ, that we are with Christ. This kind of small, she writes, carries wonder, gratitude, and peace. And as I was thinking about how we launch ourselves into this new year, I had all kinds of thoughts about 2020, hindsight's 2020, 2020 vision. I guarantee you there's a lot of churches right now doing that right now as we speak. But when Heather Holkin brought that into our devotion, I thought, what a great way to start the year. Instead of going big or go home, how about let's go small? Because in those small spaces, we find wonder, gratitude, and peace. I can remember the first time I really had connection to the small places, the, the small spaces in our lives in connection with God. And it was when my dad was in seminary. My dad spent 20-some years in the Air Force as a pilot. He retired, and he went in to be a pastor. He went to the seminary with eight kids. We lived on the seminary grounds. I think, we're, I think they still have the seminary to this day. We didn't destroy it too much. But one of the things that he had to do when he was graduating seminary, he needed to find his call. He needed to find the church that he was going to serve. And the way they did it in his denomination, you went and you interviewed, not with a small group of people, but you came and you preached on a Sunday morning. You preached on a Sunday morning, and the, and the congregation said, eh, maybe not. Or they said, yeah, this is good. Let's go with that one. And I remember when I came here, I didn't have to preach, right? I didn't preach. Uh, Steve preached. I did say hello. I did tell you who I was, that I love to smoke meat. I think that's maybe what sealed the deal. I think the official vote was like, you know, uh, whatever, 200-something to three. I don't know who those three people are, but we're fine. I love you. <laughs> it's all good. And he used to drag us to these um, uh, kind of interview sermon things he did. We didn't know what he was doing because we were too young. But he'd drag us along. Then first one, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one. And we're like, why are we going to all these churches? Well, every single sermon that he gave while we visited all these churches was about Elijah. He used the same sermon every single visit that we went to. It was all different churches, right? They hadn't heard his sermon before. And as someone who preaches almost every single week, I understand using a sermon once more than once, you know. And so he used the sermon about Elijah, Elijah in the cave. And one of the things that I remember the most, and we used to make fun of him when we were a little bit older, was my dad had this big booming voice and he would yell out part of the sermon, Elijah, come out of that cave. See, got you right now. It worked. He did that every single time. And then later on, we were like, Dad, why are, you, why are you doing that? Why are you talking about Elijah? How did you get connected to this, this prophet? Why that story? Why not some other story? Why not talk about Jesus or something? Well, here's a story about Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, and he was a prophet in the northern part of Israel. And he was a prophet during the time of some really bad kings, specifically King Ahab. King Ahab was not a good king. 
King Ahab actually was an apostate, actually someone who took the nation of Israel and turned their worship from Yahweh, from God, to Baal, which was a, a, a god from a different country. And they took the whole country and made them worship Baal. They built altars to Baal. They brought in priests from another country to, uh, to set up this whole worship of Baal. Ahab married his wife Jezebel, who was a priestess of Baal, and he turned the entire nation away from Yahweh. And Elijah comes along, sent by God, and speaks truth to power. And he comes in and he sets up this contest. And he says, God is, God, Yahweh is, is the number one God. There's, there's no other God greater than Yahweh. And the Baal priests are like, no, there's no one greater than Baal. And there happened to be a drought in the land. And they set up a contest. And the contest is, which God is going to bring the rain? Baal or Yahweh? Who's stronger? And so Elijah gets into this contest, ends up killing all of these priests from Baal. It gets kind of bloody and gory and all that kind of stuff, which I found very interesting when I was a kid. And Elijah wins. God, Yahweh, wins. The rain comes. But Jezebel is not happy. All her priests get killed. So Jezebel goes to Ahab, and Ahab calls out, for Elijah. You know what's going to happen when Ahab gets a hold of Elijah. So Elijah takes off. He runs. He runs. He's scared for his life, but he's not just running from something. He's running to something. And what he runs to is a mountain. He runs to a mountain. We know it in a couple different names, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. He runs to that mountain. And he runs to that mountain because that's where God is. God has always been on that mountain. There's never been a question whether or not God lived on that mountain. Moses met God on that mountain for the very first time in the story of the burning bush. The Ten Commandments were given from that mountain to the Israelites. When the Israelites were freed from the Egyptians, they went to that mountain. That mountain was where God dwelt. You knew that that's where God was. So Elijah just didn't run out of fear for his life from Ahab. He ran to the mountain where God was. And then on that mountain, the story goes that Elijah hears this voice from God. You ready? Elijah, come out of that cave. And he disobeys. He doesn't go out of the cave. And then there is a series of of natural creations that are amazing, right? You have these uh, earthquakes come. Rocks and shatters and all these kinds of boulders are coming all around and loud and crashing all over the place. But the story tells us that God was not in the earthquake. Which is amazing because in other stories, God was in the earthquake. And then there's this fire that comes and kind of goes over the whole mountain And the story tells us that God wasn't in the fire. The amazing thing is God has been in the fire in other stories. And then the wind comes. This massive wind comes and almost shakes this whole mountain. But God's not in the wind. And again, 
But God has showed up in the wind in other places. And then following that comes what is kind of an interesting uh, translation because a lot of our Bibles will translate it very differently because the Hebrew isn't, isn't as clear as it might be. But our Bible, which is the one that the Lutherans use, which is the right one, <laughs> the NRSV, check, um, says it this way, Then followed the sound of sheer silence. Have you ever heard the sound of sheer silence? Some translations will say the sound of a small voice, maybe even a sigh or a breath, but the sound of sheer silence. And in that sound of sheer silence, Elijah hears God, and he comes out of the cave. And then God talks to Elijah, restores his confidence, and sends Elijah back into ministry. And I asked my dad, I said, why did you use that story? How did you connect to that story? Why was that the one that you used? And he said, he spent all of his life, most of his adult life, in the military. He was a pilot. Everything was loud. The planes are loud. The uh, runways are loud. The, the, the commands in the cockpit are loud. The, from the very beginning when he went to boot camp, the sergeants are loud. Everybody's yelling at each other. It's loud, 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 loud. And he was about to leave a very loud profession and go into something very different to be a local pastor in a congregation where he needed to know God in a very different way than just being loud. He needed to understand silence. He needed to know what it meant to be quiet. He needed to move into a new kind of faith where silence was a part of it. It wasn't always the fire. It wasn't always the earthquake. It wasn't always the wind. But he needed to know what silence meant in his life. You and I are moving into this new year of 2020 where this new year we are probably going to experience maybe God in the, in the fire and in the wind and in the earthquake. I'm feeling like that's going to happen to me. I'm going to probably find God in the fire and the wind and the earthquake. My, again, my sons, I talk about them all the time, but it, it's hard for me. He's leaving to go to college. He got his applications in. Yay! And probably along that way, probably along the journey over the next couple of months, we're going to have fire and wind and earthquakes come and God's going to be good and it's got to be great and we're going to celebrate and all that kind of stuff. But then there's probably going to be moments when there's going to be a lot of silence. And do I hear God in that silence? I'm sure the same thing is going to happen to you this year. You're going to experience all those big things, but... You're also going to experience God in a lot of the small places, in the small spaces of your life, where you may experience more gratitude and more love and more peace that doesn't come to you in a fire or a wind or an earthquake. And your faith may look different because of it. I talk to a lot of people who share with me at times in their lives that they're losing their faith or they've lost their faith. And one of the things that I tell them, I said, that, that might be true, but here's what I believe is happening in you. 
I believe your faith is changing. You're losing a kind of faith that depended on a fire and a wind and an earthquake. And you're moving into a new kind of faith that's being more comfortable with silence, more comfortable in the small spaces. Your faith may be, may be changing from a vending machine faith where we, we go to God and we expect God to immediately respond. And maybe we're moving into a faith where we have to wait. We have to listen more. We have to be aware more. Maybe we have to see it in others where we maybe hadn't seen it before. Our hope this year is that when we launch into our faith life this year, that we would be able to take the time to reflect. You have, you've heard this from lots of other people, not just me, but maybe to unplug. Maybe to pick up that book, Simply Tuesday, from Emily Freeman, and read it. And maybe you will find God in those small, silent places. Let's pray. Lord God, we do give you thanks that you come to us in different ways. But help us sit in silence to hear you. Help us know that when we are in silence and we, we struggle to find you, that you are still there with us. That we can step in confidence in this world knowing that you love us, that you call us to you. You have been faithful to us through the generations, and we stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us who are not that much different than we are, not that much different than Elijah. And still you call us out of our caves with silence. Lord God, we ask that we will continue to live as your people, as being the generations now in our time that other generations are able to stand on as well as they live into their faith. We thank you for the ancient words that come to us in, in your prayers and in our creeds.